Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Even though I've been in this apartment for two months, I'm finally starting to get the background sort of kind of done, you know, and that's still my, my pile of stuff that uh, I need to go through. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully the background's looking cool enough. Um, you know, I don't need some fancy YouTuber background with a thousand games. I just figured, you know, I am what I am and I got what I love behind me. Heavy Metal, Super Metroid, and that was the opposite, but whatever. So, uh, comments down below if you think I should change it, if you think I need to do anything else. The brightness of the background will be determined by how bright it is outside when I record these. Uh, but I, I like this a lot. I really think it's um, more personal than a blue screen uh, or just that silly green screen right behind my head that I kind of had to do with the last apartment. But uh, as always, I'm all ears, whatever you guys think. But enough about me. Let's jump into the news. First up, I just posted an interview with Tanglewood creator Matt Phillips. And I thought this was a great interview because he really went into things like how he used an original Genesis dev kit to make the game, his thoughts on piracy and ROMs, as well as talking about eventually open sourcing the game, which I thought was pretty incredible. Um, also, during the game, I have footage that I recorded of me playing it on original Genesis consoles uh, in 720p, and it's a one-to-one. -one. It wasn't resized in the video. So anybody who watches the video as well as listens, uh, you get to see gameplay. And it was only the second time I'd ever played the game. I played through a demo of it once for a little bit, but I really liked the perspective of coming into it brand new. So uh, I also really, really want to help Matt promote this game as much as possible because I just, I really love the idea of truly recreating a 16-bit experience today. So I'm going to be, for the first time, doing a retweet and follow to win giveaway where I'll, I will have a tweet as soon as this one, uh, as soon as this podcast airs, I will post a tweet uh, with a link to the YouTube video that says retweet and follow for a chance to win a Steam copy of Tanglewood. Now, if you buy a Steam copy, or if you get the one gifted uh, that I will be sending, you actually also get the Genesis ROM with it. So I thought that was pretty awesome, and I really want to help Matt promote the game. So please retweet uh, if you already follow. Obviously, it doesn't matter then, but uh, I really want to help promote his work. Um, and, you know, my interviews too, because I really want to keep talking to as many of these pe people as possible so that I could really shine light on people that definitely deserve recognition for all their amazing work. So uh, please help me help Matt retweet as much as you can. And if you don't see the link in the description or on my Twitter channel, then you're too quick. <laughs> Just give it five minutes and refresh and it'll be there. Someone composed a version of the DuckTales theme song and put it inside Super Mario World. So it's using the Super Mario World game music, but playing the DuckTales theme song. The developer also made it available for other people that want to use it in their Super Mario World hack levels. And it's so very cool to hear it in a game like that. Uh, and now that I listened to it right before I recorded this, it's going to be stuck in my head for like the next five days. So good luck with that. Crix just released version 2.0 firmware release candidate 1 for the EverDrive N8. Now, for the non-nerds out there, release candidate basically means that if there's no major bugs found, this is the final version, and if not, we might get a 2.0.1 or something like that. But, more importantly, this is one very massive update. It adds things like uh, support for new audio chips and games that were never uh, officially supported on the N8 before. Tons and tons of mappers are now supported, meaning lots of ROMs that couldn't be played before currently are now. Um, and there's a new supported games list, 
and Smoke Monster went through with a, a few other people and ran some scripts and found almost 2,000 ROMs out there that previously were not compatible and are now. So this is a pretty huge update. Even Action 52, that uh, lovely game, now works on the EverDrive N8. So uh, if you have one of these, obviously Famicom or NES version, doesn't really matter, definitely download it. It's a huge update, um, and you get so much for free. And I do just want to make that point one more time. Crix could very easily have released a new, more expensive version of the hardware to go along with this firmware, but he didn't. He just gave this away for free for everybody that already owns the N8, which I think is pretty amazing. Uh, and I just thank you very much to Crix for all the stuff like this that you do, because this is nuts and awesome. So uh, thanks again to Crix and uh, to Smoke Monster and all of the people that helped with uh, that crazy trying to figure out exactly which ROMs were now compatible. And it's really only down to a few that won't work with it. So it's a pretty huge update, and I hope everybody uh, updates their cart that has one. Someone just released a 3D printed design for what they're calling a mini rack and pinion racing wheel for original Xbox controllers. And I think stuff like this is ingenious and fun to play with. Uh, basically it snaps onto the controller and you could use your thumbs or I guess even your, your fingers just to pretend it's a steering wheel and use driving games that way. And it seems neat and it seems like something that I'd probably enjoy using myself. but. I really just love the fact that so many more of us now can can make and experience weird stuff like this because of 3D printing technology and because of how much easier it was than even 10 years ago for somebody that doesn't even really have much knowledge of this to be able to print uh, and it really even start their own designs. So uh, everybody that does these things, keep them coming because they're all awesome. Last week I saw a lot of online publications talking about a website called SNES Party. Uh, and I really wanted to check it out for myself. Basically, you open a browser uh, and go to this website, SNES Party or NES Party, and load up a ROM, and then it gives you a URL that you could send to somebody else to join. And it supports up to four players, and you could play over the internet against each other. And while I saw a lot of these publications talking about it, none of them actually showed a demo. So I said, well, forget it. I, I want to try this and see how it works. Um, now, obviously, you're talking about a significant amount of lag if you're running off of a local ROM on one person's side. So I had the local ROM, uh, even though I was player two, which might be a little confusing in the video, but uh, I had the local ROM, my friend logs in, and that means uh, every time there's a command that needs to be sent, it has to go from my computer to his, then he enters his command when he sees you know whatever he wants on the screen, then that has to go back to my browser to register the command, and then before he sees what he did, it has to go back to his. So in a perfect scenario, that's four frames of lag, and then you add on to that the three or four minimum frames of emulation lag you would get in something like this. And while it was, you know, a little bit laggy for me, it was unplayable for him. He just, there's no way we could go through Mortal Kombat and have a serious, bra uh, serious battle. So maybe for something like chess or checkers or, or something else it would be neat, but um, I just I think stuff like this is very fun, and I love that people put this up on the internet for us to try and play with, but this is certainly not something that I would consider um, like a, a it would it's a fun thing to mess with, not a serious way to game. And I think the closest thing you're going to come with emulation to stuff like this is by using software that's very specifically designed to deal with lag across the internet. Uh, you know, you would probably need 
ROMs and emulation on both sides. And uh, Parsec, I did the interview with them a while back. I think their software could come close to a, a better experience, but um, if anybody wants to play with this for themselves, it's neat. Just keep in mind, it's like a, it's a toy. It's not a serious gaming thing. But either way, I had a lot of fun killing the 15 minutes it took to, uh, to you know, set up one match and then edit the video. So anybody that's interested for themselves, check out the link down below. Insurrection Industries just teased a $75 GameCube HDMI solution they're calling the Carby that's projected to be released on September 17th of this year, just about a month. So uh, that's pretty incredible. That price comes with a remote control, an HDMI cable, and the Carby itself, which just plugs right into the digital port in the back of your GameCube, no installation required or anything. And as long as it, uh, as long as it performs as good as the other solutions out there, I think that's a pretty incredible price. And I'm actually pretty curious. I'm wondering how close to the cost of the original GameCube cables that would be, meaning the, how much the GameCube component cables cost when they were released, adjusted for inflation today. I'm betting that's pretty darn close to the same it would cost if we bought those component cables today brand new, you know, adjusted. So uh, this is very cool, and I'm really glad to see more people do solutions like this. Um, you know, just the very fact that it's $75 is awesome. Uh, I'm really looking forward to testing this out as well as the others. And as always, when I mention GC Video, I have to give a huge shout out to Unseen, whose work is the basis on all of this. And I hope that doesn't come across the right way. That's certainly not taking away from any of the work Insurrection, Eon, Badass Consoles, or Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI did. You know, uh, there's a few more out there that I'm forgetting. My apologies. But all of their work is absolutely amazing, and I sing it all praise as much as I can. But people tend to forget about Unseen. No, no pun intended with the Unseen thing. But uh, I just, every time I mention GC Video, I really just want to make sure that everybody remembers the original developer behind that who made all of this happen. Because as much as I do love going off about the coolest new products and all the other nerdy stuff I talk about, uh, one of the main focuses of this podcast and this channel is to always really shine the light on the developers that deserve it. So big high five and a shout out to Unseen. But uh, maybe one day, uh, maybe one day I'll get to meet him in person and we'll, we'll put him behind a curtain with a voice box on so he could still remain unseen and unheard, but I'll get a cool interview. Who knows? I'll add that to the list of stuff I'd love to do at some point. But uh, anybody looking uh, to check this out, the link to the tweet is in the description and it should be available in about a month. A bit of news on the SD to SNES SA1 chip. Um, first of all, Red Guy has released version 0.6 of the firmware that supports it that reduces the amount of slowdown certain games see and changes certain things that improve stability on certain consoles. So it's, it's still pretty incredible to me that in a relatively short period of time, we've gone from a lot of people saying SA1 support on the SD to SNES would be impossible to having pretty darn good support for it. And Red Guy just keeps coming up with the updates. So, uh, you know, huge shout out to him. That's amazing. Thank you so much for donating this for free to all the ST to SNES owners. Um, and also, uh, hacker and developer Vitor Vilela, once again, please correct me if I'm saying that wrong, um, just released or is working on a version 2 of his SA1 pack. And I might not be getting this right, so um, I think I'm on the right track. Please excuse my ignorance if I'm getting this wrong. 
but Vitor has developed a bunch of tools that allow you to utilize the SA1 chip, which previously was only able to do through emulation. And he's really uh, focusing in on doing things like taking existing games and allowing them to have the SA1 chip integrated in so that you have less slowdown on the screen, as well as being able to make animations and other crazy stuff that normally would not be possible on a SNES. So while, I'm, while I think I'm missing the technical details, I think I got the main point right. Please correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. But point is, um, if you're not a developer, uh, Vitor is contributing to the awesome experience that you'll be getting on your SD to SNES. And if you are a developer, you might want to check out the tools that he has and is continuing to work on. Um, as always, if you follow Smoke Monster and his streams, he, uh, he demos a lot of this stuff on his weekly stream, and they're very cool watches. So thank you to everybody involved in this, and I'm just very thrilled that I get to play all those cool SA1 games now. Wardy just posted a firmware update for his N64 Advanced board that has a new scanline method, improves the 480ID interlacing, and improves some timing constraints. And for anybody that doesn't know, Bordy has two N64 boards um, that he has open sourced for anybody that wants to make them. The first is the basic N64 board that could be installed in any N64 and outputs RGB with all of the features that he created for Tim's board as well, including deblur, the 15-bit color mode, and all that cool stuff. The N64 Advanced, however, is a totally different thing. This could also line double to 480p, and it could output via component, RGB, and VGA, um, and adds a few more other pretty cool features, so, uh, such as the 480i deinterlacing. So anybody interested in any of that stuff, please check out the link in the description. It also links back to his GitHub page for anybody that potentially wants to make their own, and um, very, very cool stuff. I actually haven't tried an N64 Advanced myself yet. I've tried Bordy's other board, I think that's what's currently in Cousin Scott's N64, um, and that, that performed exactly as well as you'd expect, but I'm kind of interested to see how the features of the N64 Advanced work, and I really want to try a lot of these on VGA monitors, because I think for things like fighting tournaments, or, or really just anybody that wants to play on a CRT but doesn't want to deal with the whole RGB thing, which, you know, there's a lot of people like that out there, it's so easy just to get a CRT monitor, CRT VGA monitor somewhere, uh, and do a mod like this, and then, you know, you're done. That's it. So one kind of complicated mod maybe you have to pay somebody else to do, go pick up a CRT somewhere for free or, you know, probably 20 bucks or something, and you have a zero lag, high quality solution. Um, so uh, I think Ben from My Fix Retro just made one of these. Maybe I'll swing by and check it out at his place, but... Uh, thanks again to Bordy for always open sourcing these amazing projects, uh, and I'm looking forward to see what you come up with next. The game Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom just received an official release date of November 6th at $40. The game is going to be released on all major consoles, Switch, Xbox One, PS4, and I think through Steam on Windows. Um, and it's what they're calling the spiritual successor to the Monster Boy games. And the last one that I played was the remake of A Dragon's Trap, which is a different developer and probably competitor or something, so I probably shouldn't be bundling them into the same update, but I, I absolutely loved it. I, I loved the fact that it was a true re a rendition of the original game, just with gorgeous graphics at 60 frames per second, uh, and I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a little too hard at the end. I probably should have gone back and tried to play it a second time, but... Um, I'm hoping that this, this game follows in its footsteps. Um, it's different developers, 
So, you know, who knows, could be better, worse, whatever, but I just really loved that it was that last year's a dragon trap a dragon's trap truly felt just like an HD remake of the original to me. Um, it didn't lose any of the the fun or charm of it. You know, they didn't put anything weird in there. So I guess we'll all see November sixth. But this looks like a cool game that I'd probably be interested in, and I can't wait to try it. The canceled Sega Genesis game Hardcore is now getting a release in 2019. The company Strictly Limited Games is reviving it and completing it using original Genesis development hardware, which I think is very cool. And it's going to be released on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. They mentioned that since they're using the original hardware that it, it was going to be completed as a Genesis game, but they didn't give any details on how they were going to do that. Uh, it would be very cool if they did an, an actual Genesis cart release and maybe even sold the ROM like Tanglewood, but I guess that'll remain to be seen. The original game was planned on having a Genesis and Sega CD release, so I, I would absolutely love to buy a brand new Sega CD game. Uh, and as weird as that sounds, I think it would be very cool to do that. So no details on the original game release, but it will be available at least on PlayStation 4 in 2019. Um, and hopefully it'll turn out to be something really neat that both the new and old fans of stuff like this could like. I just uploaded another tutorial oscilloscope video, once again featuring Steve from HD Retrovision, and this time it focuses in on component video signals in a retro gaming environment. The first video that we did was more of a how-to and basics of a scope and then how to check RGB signals, whereas this focuses in on what a component video signal is and discusses things like how to calculate the voltages, how to figure out what different things are and why, and I absolutely loved it. I had a great time shooting it. I had an even better time editing it because between the time that we shot it a month ago and now I've done more work with the scope, so now I have a much better understanding of the things that we were talking about. And I really hope uh, everybody else that's even remotely interested in this stuff watches the video because uh, I just think it's a wealth of information all in one spot. And I very, very much appreciate Steve taking the time to help us all out with these things. And I, I know I personally really, really enjoy learning and now understanding more about why some of the things are the way they are. And it's kind of funny, too, because for years I did all of my testing by doing screenshots and pictures and zooming in and comparing things. And now, now that I'm learning how to use a scope, I could actually understand, electrically speaking, why these things are happening. So, you know, the, as with everything else, the more you learn, the more you realize you, you know nothing. So uh, I'm sure I'm just opening up another can of worms for myself on what I'm going to get into next. But um, anybody that's interested in the why, definitely check this video out, especially if you own a scope. Um, and the link is in the description to the page, uh, the news post, which also includes the formula that Steve had for how he calculated which voltages to get, um, links to the scope that he and I used. Uh, I used the much cheaper one, obviously, but uh, anybody that's interested, please check it out because I really loved it and I really appreciated Steve once again taking all the time to do it. The upcoming game Bloodstained Ritual of the Night has been delayed till 2019 and the Vita version has been canceled altogether due to the fact that Sony is discontinuing the Vita itself. Anybody that pre-ordered the Vita version can either get their money back or exchange it for one of the versions on the other consoles. 
And the reason it was delayed was supposedly because beta testers gave feedback where they realized they needed to fix a few things, which I completely and totally respect. I think after seeing Bloodstained Curse of the Moon and how cool that was and how it really just felt like a brand new NES game, uh, I, I want... I want this to be as awesome as people are saying it's going to be. So it's my opinion that why I, while I would really love to play it right now today, um, by all means, take your time. I want to get it right on day one. And unlike certain hardware things, where if I order a new piece of hardware, I don't mind doing a day one firmware update. For a game, I, I don't want to get a week into the game just to find out that there's a bunch of bug fixes that, you know, that fixed things that, had, that, that happened to me when I first started it. So... A lot of respect to the crew for doing that, um, and I just really can't wait to play this game because it's just now in the past year that I've got, it, got into the Metroidvania Castlevania games, and they're pretty awesome. So I'm really interested to see how good this is, especially after seeing Curse of the Moon. But uh, as soon as there's an official release date or anything else, I will update everybody. I've been following a project on the Planet Virtual Boy forums about people taking 3D screenshots from the 3DS Miiverse and porting them over to Virtual Boy, which this isn't really a direct game-related thing because they're just pictures, but you could view it on original hardware, and I just thought it was a unique and cool thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, basically, the developer Stereo Boy talked to another developer, KR155E, which people would just use their real names. <laughs> uh, and apparently at KR155E wrote a software tool that would scan through a lot of the Miiverse 3D screenshots, filter out which ones were actually 3D and which were just 2D with a left and right picture. And then they found 30,000 real 3D screenshots and sorted out through about 1,100 Metroid screenshots. And it's kind of like an art project that I think is very cool. Um, I guess the Miiverse shut down and all those uh, 3D screenshots that people had taken in their 3DS games disappeared. So now the 20 gigabytes of screenshots that he downloaded were preserved. And these are, these are just the Metroid ones. So like I said, it's more of an art project than anything else. Maybe a lot of people, this really isn't your thing. But, uh, you know, I'm really just I'm looking forward to maybe another ROM cart for Virtual Boy coming out soon, potentially. And just taking stuff like this, throwing it on, and treating it like one of those old um, slide things. I'm drawing a blank here, but any 80s kid's going to know exactly what I mean. I think it's the Viewmaster. Um, so you could just put on your Virtual Boy and kind of scroll through some of the 3DS screenshots in, you know, in red and black, of course. But um, just thought it was a neat art project. Wanted to let everybody know about it. And let me know down in the comments if you want to keep hearing about things like this. I love it. I mean, it's viewable on a real Virtual Boy, and it involves the 3DS, so I figure it's retro gaming compatible. But uh, definitely want to hear more about what you guys want to hear, because if the majority of people don't care about this stuff, I guess I'll kind of keep it in the back. But I'd like to keep talking about it, so let me know down below. Pre-orders for the latest version of the G-SCART Switch Lite will open this Monday the 27th. This is the version that includes new features like sync on green support, both, both pass-through and regeneration to RGBS, as well as component video pass-through and a whole bunch more things. 
I can't wait to get one of these to test. There's a few things I want to double check on it to make sure that it still does as good as last time or potentially does better. And as soon as I get one in for testing, I will do a full review and let everybody know where they stand with it. But either way, anybody that's been waiting for one of these, definitely sign up for the pre-order this Monday. The links are all in the description. A device called the Classic to Magic was just announced that allows you to play real SNES carts on the SNES Classic as well as play ROMs from a USB stick via its USB port. And I have kind of a jaded opinion on this. Um, I get the positive side. Supposedly, according to the website, there's no hacking involved. You just plug this into your SNES Classic, plug in the cart or the USB stick, and you're done. Um, I read the website a couple of times, so hopefully I, I didn't misunderstand that part of it. But if that's the case, I get it. Uh, I know so many people that do not want to deal with anything. They don't have extra time to mess with stuff. They don't like tinkering. Just plug it in and go, which is a huge appeal of the SNES and NES classics. There's nothing to it. Um, and adding something like this on top of it seems like a pretty easy thing to do. But my my jaded opinion on this is that over the years, I've really seen and felt the difference in experiences between solutions like this and a solution like the Super NT or, you know, original consoles on CRTs. And I just think for the money, I mean, this is $60, SNES Classic is pretty expensive, you might want to spend your money on other things. And I personally would recommend that almost everybody uh, if you're going to do anything other than play games that are already built into the, the Nintendo Classic consoles, um, I would almost always recommend that they either go to one of the really high-quality um, FPGA clone solutions, like the AVS or the Super NT, or if they're going to do any tinkering at all, maybe just get a Raspberry Pi, and then even if you want, get one of the analog solutions for it too. Because at the end of the day, this is all just software emulation. And, you know, I say just like it's a bad thing. There are some very great software emulators out there. But it's going to be, if you're a hardcore gamer, a different experience. So 150 ish for both of these versus what it would cost for either an AVS or a Super NT and a way to play the games. I'm assuming you have original cartridges if you would want something like this. Or even just a full Raspberry Pi solution. I just, I don't know if there's a spot for this. Maybe there's other features that it does that uh, that I didn't understand. Or maybe I'm just looking at it from the wrong way. But please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Post down below and let me know your thoughts. But while this seems neat and I understand the use for it, it's unless it does something special, it's not getting my recommendation because of the other really, really excellent choices out there. The company Retrobit just announced an official partnership with Sega to release Saturn and Genesis controllers. Each will have three different models available, one that's just a straightforward reproduction of the original with a cable that plugs right into your console. Uh, the next is a Bluetooth version of the original and a matching receiver for that as well, which I assume means that you could just buy the Bluetooth controller if you want to use it on any other Bluetooth device, or if you buy the receiver, you could plug it into your console and play it on the original. Um, that kind of reminds me of what 8-Bit Doe is doing, so maybe they're, maybe they're taking a nod from them. And also, very much like 8-Bit Doe, the third version available is going to be one that also includes analog sticks and a USB cable output. 
So it looks like a pretty decent lineup. I'm certainly going to buy the Saturn wireless version because even though I still do all my hardcore gaming on wired controllers, uh, wireless controllers just make things so much easier for testing. Uh, if you're not playing a serious game, it's kind of nice to not have to be tethered. Um, and, you know, then just plug in your wires for any of the craziness, finding games and all that. But overall, it seems very cool. I don't know if them being officially licensed by Sega means anything. Maybe that means they're using original molds with original buttons and they're adhering to a higher standard of quality, which I could hear electrical engineers laughing as I say that out loud because Sega was known for not having very good quality boards in some of their old consoles. Um, or maybe it's just a marketing ploy where Sega let them use the name for a cut of the profits. The problem with stuff like this is you don't know until they're released, but either way, I will absolutely be buying the Saturn Bluetooth version, and uh, hopefully I'll at least get the opportunity to try the rest. Um, I will not be one of those kiss-ass YouTubers that uh, you know tells Sega whatever they want to get free copies of these things. I will buy one like everybody else and give my opinion then. Um, they're due to be shown off at Gamescom this week, so there's probably more information available right now for it as this airs. But if nothing else, you'll, uh, you'll hear from me in November when they hit the shelves and I get to test the Saturn one. A lot of you might already be aware of this next thing, but I was kind of surprised, so I figured I'd share it anyway. I saw a post by my buddy Chris where he got something printed from Shapeways in metal. And I never realized that Shapeways, the company that prints all of your 3D print designs in plastic, could also offer metal for certain designs. And I thought that was really cool because I knew there were a lot of things out there that people were making, certain brackets, certain things that you really needed as strong as you could um, that would benefit from metal over plastic. So uh, I just thought I'd let everybody know that any of your 3D print designs might possibly be able to have a metal print as well for really not that much more money. So uh, check out the link in the description, the screenshot that I had showing the different options. And if you want something printed in metal, such as some of those Datapath Vision full height card, uh, card brackets, definitely check it out and see if it's cost effective for you. And lastly, I just saw a video about unreleased or canceled 32X games that I thought was pretty cool and just felt like I wanted to share with everybody. I guess this is a multi-part series on the YouTube channel Genovi. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I just thought they did a good job. Um, there's so much fluff out there on YouTube. Uh, so every time I really stumble across something that I very much enjoy, I try to share. And, uh, you know, I saw it on Jimmy Hoppe's Twitter feed, and he usually gives great recommendations to me. So uh, I watched it. I was very impressed. I only, at the moment, have only watched the one that I linked to in this post. But I'm going to go back and watch the rest of the ones on the 32X because even though that mushroom turd is really unimpressive overall, it's still a part of, of video game history that for some reason fascinates me. But anybody interested, check the link down below. Well, that's it for this week. Please don't forget about the whole retweet to win Tanglewood thing because I really want to give as much exposure to Matt and the Tanglewood project as I can because I really want to see more games built in the same way with the same amount of passion. So hopefully we could retweet enough so people with tons and tons of followers can stumble across this and maybe they could even retweet it as well. But as always, thanks so much to all of my Patreon subscribers because these videos could not happen without you. Uh, can't tell you enough how, how thankful I am to everybody. The link is down below for anybody that might want to consider signing up as well. And I'll see everybody next week.